Hello and welcome to this, the 47th episode of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Og McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I'm a 15-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And, as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And, as ever, we are bringing this to you free of charge because we promise that we'll never ever charge for these interviews but as ever we are looking for you to put your money back into Irish theatre. The whole ethos behind this podcast is to support, promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre and what is the best way you can go out there and support? Yes, you are correct. Go and buy yourself some tickets. Uh, It is the simplest, easiest and most direct way to go and do it. No point in people bitching about the arts not being funded properly or not being supported properly. Get out there and put your money where your mouth is. Go and buy yourself some theatre tickets this week. It'll make you feel warm and fuzzy inside. If by any chance tickets are outside your reach this week or this month, go on over to one of the crowdsourcing websites like fundit.ie. See if there's a theatre company running a campaign over there. Go and donate. You'll feel great and you will be helping support the world of Irish theatre. Of course, there are ways you can support without putting your hand in your pocket. Go and tell people about this podcast. Help us spread the word. Go and tell them whether that's in person over a cup of coffee or by sharing the link as a Facebook post or retweeting the link on Twitter that we'll put out. Um, Go over and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Make your life easier. It'll magic its way into your little magical inbox every Thursday. Do go back and listen to all our other episodes. Get Peter Daly up there in the charts. Peter Daly needs a lift in his life and this makes him happier than anything else in the world. Make the little man smile. Um, Do leave us a review on iTunes tunes while you're over there please 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 that does a massive thing to help us in the old charts uh, or you can simply click to rate us on their five star rating system now that's not asking an awful lot is it you can of course as ever follow us on facebook we are facebook.com forward slash rise productions ireland or you can follow us on twitter we are at rise ireland and so it is a, an interesting week where we finally bring you this big announcement that we've been teasing for a little while um, and it's a pretty monumental one So let's get straight into it. Um, The announcement is this. In a few weeks' time, the podcast will be no more. Uh, We are wrapping it up, ladies and gentlemen. It was always the plan that we would would have this as a year-long project, that we would chronicle a year in the life of Irish theatre, and that we would hopefully get to episode 52, if people were interested in it. We would have that kind of time capsule of an archive of 52 episodes, 52 weeks in the year, a year in the life of Irish theatre, down on, I was going to say on disc, but on disc, on podcast, on the internet, whatever way you want to call it. Uh, And it would be there as an archive for people and as a snapshot of, of what the world of Irish theatre was uh, for that year from uh, from November to November. Uh, and so that's it. We are calling it a day. I am killing this thing off before it kills me. Um, it, there's kind of a, a kind of a weird Ricky Gervais thing going on about killing off the office, you know, and go out while, while you're still on top. And, you know, th- this podcast thing has just been a phenomenon. There's no other way to describe it, um, you know, from becoming the number one arts podcast in the country within a couple of weeks of launching, um, you know, to get into the place where we are now, where every single episode we put out goes top 10. The kind of caliber of guests we're getting on here is just phenomenal. Um, and it's been an amazing experience for me personally. This was kind of a solo run for me within the Royce production structure um, that I kind of took this on as, as my baby, as a solo project. Uh, and it has been 
huge. Um, you know, by the time we finish up in a couple of weeks' time, it, it'll be in excess of 500 man-hours to put this thing together. Um, but I do think it's a great archive to have it there. And I know I've spoken before on the podcast about some of the motivation behind doing it. Um, you know, with uh, with last year, just kind of dealing with the deaths of both Phyllis Ryan and Tomás McConaughey, these two you know, giants of Irish theatre and just reflecting on how uh, how kind of temporary this industry is, how how kind of intangible the, the art form is. Uh, and so I just wanted to have this little snapshot of people there. So, um, you know, I think we've had a ni- done a nice job on things. I think we've had a nice broad range of uh, voices from different disciplines, different age categories, different genders, different geographical locations, different theatrical disciplines, all of the above. So I think we've done a, a reasonably decent job. Um, and to say that there are still, you know, whatever, half a dozen episodes still to go. Uh, and I think they are going to be six of the best. I have to say we are... Uh, we are dealing with a couple of the heavyweights, it has to be said, ladies and gentlemen, for these upcoming weeks. And as such, um, I know there's been a little bit of, you know, waiting around and jiggery-pokery with uh, release dates over the last little while. It's because, for a number of reasons, um, as we're going to these last few episodes and we've been in talks with, you know, certain people for these final episodes for a number of months now in terms of just hammering down their availability, um, it just becomes a little bit more of a delicate dance to arrange availabilities for people. And, you know, when we were only a couple of episodes in, there was a long list of people that we could jump from one to the other if someone wasn't available or if a show came up or whatever whereas now we've got you know a very small number of people left uh, to interview and so availabilities come and go and move around a bit so there may be a day or two's delay either side of dates uh, where you'd be expecting the podcast over the next couple of weeks but because of the caliber of guests we're having I think that's kind of unavoidable uh, and I think it just means it'll be absolutely worth the wait so do bear with us if there's a bit of messing around Um, but uh, yeah look we're going out with a bang we're not done yet we've still got whatever half a dozen episodes to uh, unleash on you guys and uh, and I think they're going to be some of the finest so stay with us tell your friends get involved before uh get involved get on board before this whole thing finishes up uh what an amazing journey it's been but uh yeah we're still going strong so stick with us so look that brings us to our guest this week uh for this you know final push of all killer no filler and uh there is no one better to uh to go with this week um the man who i refer to as the most successful actor of his generation uh it is that simple he also happens to be one of my best mates in the business it is the phenomenal aaron monaghan um, who works more than all the rest of us put together uh, and while he is getting all those jobs works harder at those jobs than all the rest of us put together the guy is a, is a phenomenon I love him to bits he is an exceptionally talented actor uh, and I'm just delighted that he is now getting the worldwide praise that uh, that I think he deserves you know we go back an awful long way me and Ernie and uh, yeah I just love him to bits look let's get straight into it here he is the phenomenal Aaron Monaghan fuck off I'm the boss of me the wonderful Aaron Monaghan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How the fuck are you, baby? I'm very well. Um, right, okay, let's keep some kind of format on it then, so yeah. it makes sense to somebody, if not me. Um, go back to the very beginning. Uh, architecture's loss is theatre's gain. How did you first decide to get into theatre? When did like, Is there an original um, memory or something from when you were really young? From bad acting? Yeah. Uh, no. Um... <laughs> Oh, have I not told you this before? No, okay. Um, uh, I was, I think I was going to be an architect. Yeah. All along. Um, and uh, when, when we, you know, we were in Trinity together. Yeah, um, but even before that, like, at what, like, at what point did you not become an architect? Well, you had started, did, hadn't you? No, no. Well, I, I, I deferred it for a year. The, the point at which I didn't become an architect, and which I decided I was going to be an actor. Um, quite specifically, was 
at the recall audition for Trinity when we were walking up when I was walking up the stairs. It was after the movement yeah. workshop. Um to put it in context for people, do you want to talk about the audition day? Yeah, or, sure, we can do that. Um or or to go back further, I suppose, um I was gonna be an architect. That's all I wanted to do. And specifically I just wanted to design houses. Yeah. Um I, I had a really brilliant teacher in school doing construction studies and it was something that was just easy uh for me to do i just loved it and um so there was nothing else i wanted to do except that and then um i think when i was doing my junior cert uh around christmas time they started up with this kind of youth drama club so it was an hour in uh the evenings every friday um and i missed the first week and i remember going oh, all these things i, I usually all these classes were starting up and I'd missed loads of them over the years and I went I'd love to go to one of them so uh, for the second week I, I went to it and I had no idea what to expect and um, yeah I uh, I did I did it and it was just fun we were doing stuff like improvisation and, yeah. uh, characters and I just remember like having the best crack um, and going back next week and the week after that like it was it was something that I did then but it was always, always only a hobby. I think at that point, I really, and that was in third year of school, junior cert year, up until after my leaving cert, I didn't know how you became an actor. Um, you didn't know why you didn't know how? How? I thought you were born as an actor. I thought Some, some of us were. No. Yeah, yes, exactly. No, no, and that, that, that was, a, you know, we can talk about that later, but um, uh, when, I, when I met people like you in college and in yeah. class and kind of going, you're steeped in it, yeah. um, it, it led to this feeling of not belonging. Um, I, I literally thought you had to come from another country, your parents had to be, it was just something you did from when you were really young. Uh, I didn't know you could train to be an actor. Um, so anyway, I, I, I kept this up during my leaving cert years and it was always just, it was something I, I suppose I became good at and I mm-hmm. kind of um, became, within our time at the group, I, it grew and grew, but I became kind of prominent in it. Um, and uh, the moment it, it, it all happened, I suppose, um, it was, it was, it all happened in one week. I turned I turned 18, I got my leaving cert results. I got my place in college and the arts officer from Cavan, um, she came up to this vegetable stall that my brother had that I was working on um, and she said, I have some news for you. And, and um, what had happened a couple of months earlier was there was a local um, theatre group in Drogheda that were writing a new play, they were devising a new play. Um, they came to a lot of local drama youth clubs, I suppose to kind of workshop with us so we got the benefit of workshopping with professional people yeah. but also they were looking for material so they sourced all our stuff so it was a kind of a kind of a helpful thing for us as well um, and they said well remember all that stuff that they were looking for material well they've written this play and um, and they've written this play with you in mind for one of the characters and they'd love to offer it to you um, and that was Hades that was Hades that was with Upstate Theatre wow. Company um, so I remember at that point could I go right? Well, it means I. It had been a month rehearsing it and a month doing it, so it yeah. was two months. And at that point, I was going off to college without like, without a, you know, penny to my name. And I thought, you know what? I could defer my place in college for a year, which is what I ended up doing. I could do this play and be able to tell my grandkids 
one day I was in a professional play um, and and then go back and do architecture, go back to college and, and do that. Um, uh, and, that and, and also I was going to spend the rest of the year earning money for college, sure. um, which is what I did. And I started working a pub when I finished then. And it was at that point then that the first time it ever occurred to me was I, I, met, I met a guy, I met three wonderful professional actors on that play. It was the first time I'd ever met a professional actor. Um, and there was another girl from Navin in the same boat as me, another youth um, drama member. Um, and they gave us like £50 a week to kind of come and... And it was a full rehearsal thing. It was like, I think there was 72 characters and I was playing 12 of them. And so you were just, I don't know, it was just like doing youth drama yeah. full time. Um, and it was a great experience. It was my first time away from home and stuff. And at the end of the play, I remember on the last night, the director of it said, have you, have you ever considered a, a career? And I went, oh God, no. And he went, well... I think it's something you should. And he said, I think you should talk to Kieran, Kieran Kenny, who was in the play. And he, Kieran was a hero of mine because he was so good in the play and his approach to his the work was so enthusiastic and energetic and it was really captivating. And he told me about this place called the Beckett Centre in Trinity. <laughs> um, so the next time I heard about the Beckett Centre was... It was after Christmas, having done the play. Um, Mary Hanley, who had been running the youth drama workshops... She came up to the stall again and uh, and she said, here, she came up with an application form. She said, just put your name in that, sign that. Uh, okay, so I signed it and she posted it off. And I, next thing I had this audition and I had to uh, put in like what I'd done and things about myself. So I had to fill out this other form then. So it was because of her that I ended up auditioning. I didn't know I was auditioning. Um and in preparation for that, I did I did some other auditions for like DIT and stuff, and um, so I remember doing that, doing the audition in the morning, and to put it in context for people, um, what the audition like seventy people in the morning over the course of oh like probably yeah two weeks or something, yeah. um, so you could be talking like you know a thousand people, and you get ten minutes to do a Shakespeare piece and a, a modern piece. And I went in, and they they were talking at me. They were they were giving me instructions like go back further from the table so we can look at you, and I just didn't hear them. I was like, I had no idea what I was doing. I hadn't a clue. I knew the words of the of the pieces pretty much. That was it. Uh, and then at lunchtime they put up the names of the people that they're going to call back. Yep. And I remember going off and having a cup of tea, and then coming back, and my name was up on it, and going, shit. Okay. <laughs> so we had to do the movement workshop. Were you there? Were we in the same? I don't day? think we were on the same day. But I there was a lot of us who went up was, in the class. Yeah. Who, um, and uh, there was a guy who, do, do you remember the guy who dropped out in first year? Jamie? Jamie Macken. Son uh, of Eddie Macken. Is it? I only know it was not his name. Yeah. His first name was Jamie. Okay. Yeah. So um, uh, we, we had to do the movement workshop yeah. and then we were called back after the workshop for a second audition and an interview. And we did the movement workshop and I hadn't a clue what I was doing, but doing it and then going down and, and waiting in the foyer. And Jamie came, came down after being the first one up and his hair was like out. It was like <laughs> Krusty the Clown or Sideshow Bob or something. And he just looked flushed and he went, Jesus, they're after going through me up there. They're after like crucifying me. And he went, oh, you're next up, buddy. Um, Good luck. And I remember walking up these endless steps and I remember kind of going, Jesus, Jesus, this is like terrifying. And I remember at that moment kind of going, 
wow, I, I didn't realise, but I, I really want to do this. And I remember that was the moment where I went, you want this and you're going to do it. And I don't think it ever answered the question as straightly and as bluntly, politely, um, certainly uh, in my life, as when one of the guys um, said to me, what happens if you don't get in? And just this assuredness, just it was just simple honesty. I, I just um, said, we'll see you next year. I was I just knew I'd, I'd never made a decision in my life, and I knew um, that's what I wanted to do. So that's that's how we ended up. And then you go into first year, and you're meeting people like you, yeah. And like um, and Jamie left, of course. Yeah. You know that that. Really well, I think he was half treated as um, kind of as a year out that you go and do this kind of fun acting degree, oh, okay, not right. knowing that we that. were there going to be doing. I, I always kind of thought that it got in the way of his kind of social life. Yeah, he owes me a tenner still. <laughs> I do remember I this. I think he's a TV producer now. Is he really? I think he is, man. If he's listening to this, if you're, I think he's knocking out RT or TV3 or something. Jamie, you owe me a tenner. <laughs> I remember this. Is that old money? I mean, that could be 500 euros by it, now. It could possibly <laughs> be, yeah. Um, but I remember we, we, that, that that shocked me when he left. And I remember Peter McAllister sitting us down and saying things like you said, this is the career you've chosen. You need to be really certain about what you do. You will probably never own a house. You will probably never own a car. And I remember him saying, Andrea Ainsworth, who was working in the Abbey at the time, Still is, but but and was teaching in Trinity, which you would expect, you know, eminent positions. Yeah, uh, an amazing tutor at the top of her game. He said she, for the first time in her, in her life, has bought a house. It's it's at that stage, but most of you will never do that. Most of you probably won't ever work again. So, and I remember, and this was in the first term. And I remember him saying, if um, if you're not sure about this, you really need to think about it. And I remember kind of just ducking my head, kind of going, I didn't know this course existed six months ago. And I was looking at you and people like Lisa Lam who seemed to have done it since you were kids yeah. and stuff. And, and and you had haunted down that course. You knew about it, you know. Yep. And, um, and I remember kind of going, they're so assured. Uh, first time in my life I'd, I'd been hearing, like everyone seemed to know what Rent was, like the musical oh, yes. Rent. And I remember, I remember first year everyone singing it. I kind of going, I'm so out of the loop here. Uh, I'm feeling like I don't belong so I think I don't know I, I, I think I just kept my head down and hoped that I wouldn't be found out that that feeling's only recently gone. <laughs> only seriously only, really yeah, genuinely yeah, yeah genuinely yeah that's yeah. more than mildly terrifying um, looking back on those three years of hanging out with me um, how how do you view those three years now um, without a doubt the uh, most formative best years of my life um terrifying like there were not to say that there were like it was great fun it was wonderful fun um it it changed me irrevocably um i, I suppose uh I, I don't know what i'd be now i would be a very very different person yeah um it opened me up to i never i don't think it's seen a theater that was a show in, in a theater that wasn't for my leave insert syllabus at that point. <laughs> I. That's amazing because I know I know certainly Ruth Negga had never set foot on stage before she came to us. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And now I, I had done that, but yeah. it was always a bit of crack. Yeah. It was always you know, um, and I'd done Hades and stuff. But um, yeah, just just suddenly reading poetry and kind of kind of going, oh, I get this, and and I didn't have to explain it or try and explain what the themes were mm. and what the writer was trying to I remember um 
or even things like working on your body like there was stuff I remember I was working in a pub and I was still at, at the weekends and still going home and working on my brother's vegetable stall and kind of going I can't explain it to people in Cavan what I would do they they wouldn't be able to take me seriously I couldn't I, I you know working really hard in the pub and serving pints and kind of going what do you have no any idea what I'm doing on Monday morning I'm going to get into a pair of tracksuit bottoms and a t-shirt and my head will be in a couple of people's armpits and I'll be doing you know cartwheels and and stuff and I'll all these obscure words uh coming into contact with all these amazing plays and ideas and uh, it really opened me up spiritually um it found something that I didn't really know existed physically yeah um and I don't know it, it was like it was I don't know it was a completely new world to me and I was fascinated by it and I was very much in love by it I still felt very uh very much on apart from it like I didn't belong I'm only and I, I really do mean that I'm only really beginning to kind of feel part of it now but it was so alien to me but it was it was it was just the most wonderful experience. I've always, I think I've, I've realised that I've always been a fan of like working really hard and we've, we worked incredibly hard those <laughs> yes, three years. Um, and it was only after that I re- went, Jesus, that was really hard work. Um, and it was never, it was never, I think that's, it's, it's always kind of, um, saying something when you come through an experience that is incredibly intense and mm. hard work and you don't feel it you kind of go that was really I didn't feel that it was hard yeah. work at the time um, I, I don't know how to sum it up I really don't it was I other than I wouldn't be able to um, I wouldn't have met the people that I met I wouldn't I wouldn't have had the same relationships I've had I wouldn't have I wouldn't have the same type of friendships I have I know I know that people that I'm with friends with still from before then our friendship has changed mm. because of that but it, it, you know it wouldn't be like that because I wouldn't be expressing myself in the same way I wouldn't have the same ideals I'd be completely shut off to so many things about the world yeah. I really would how quickly did things go insanely busy for you because the success came like a tidal wave it feels to me and came really quickly after we finished up how quick was it it really it really didn't um it it might seem that way i guess um uh i think i think sometimes maybe i'm a kind of a slow starter and it takes me a while to kind of like i remember in first year i remember not engaging in first year at all and i almost failed i remember peter McAllister saying if you don't start to kind of come out and engage you're not going to pass this course and I remember getting into second year and kind of going, well, they're going to kick me out by the end of the year, so I might as well have fun while I'm here. And it was because of that that I started not really, not really thinking about what I was doing mm. so much, just doing it. And that's always the key for me, just doing <laughs> it and not thinking about getting it. Getting out of your own way. Exactly. Um, and getting out of the way of the work and out of the way of the play. Um, and, and there was this, I, I, I think this light went on. I, remember, I, I think in second year, like, that was a big change for me. I suddenly was able to do things physically and um, the tutors responded to me and went, okay, we can see what you're about now. Yeah. Um, and then I think they probably had some sort of expectations of me in thir- at the end of third year when we finished. Um, but at that point, I mean, when we started, when we'd started third year, 
my my dad had been diagnosed with 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 terminal cancer, so I knew I knew he was going to die, and I had a good suspicion that it would probably be in the last year. Now it didn't happen like that. He he died. Um, what are we graduating June? Yeah. And he he died in October, so uh, what four months later, um, and I did a little bit of TV and film, and there was a point where I was in Dublin and, um. I wanted to be at home when I was coming up to Dublin to kind of be around for auditions and uh, there came a point but maybe two months before he died where I went I'm going to be at home and I called up my agent and said don't put me up for stuff I want to be here and I did that and I went back to work at a pub and that was really the end of my career I never thought I'd act again because everybody else was kind of doing stuff Yeah, I think what happened was um, spending time at home was great and um, dad passed away in October like I said um, uh, after that then my agent put me up for a loan at Stans and he, he remember him he, he called me that night and he said you haven't been seen for a loan at Stans yet have you and I went no he said Jesus everybody else and he goes, they're looking for they're looking for someone and you'd be great okay so tomorrow what are you doing tomorrow so I read the script that night I went up and did an audition and I could I was going back on the bus at lunchtime and I got the phone call on the bus that I got the part and it was starting in, in a week's time. And I went, right, so I did the rehearsal of an own stand and I went off and tour for, for six months. And during that tour, I auditioned for She Stoops to Conquer in the Abbey and I got the part. So Alone Stands went like uh, up until like a month before that started. And so I was in the Abbey then. Yeah. And then it just... Then it snowballed. Then it snowballed. Like, it, it, I mean, from that original Abbey gig, because I know there was a time where like, it felt like you hadn't been outside the building for like the space of a year or I, something. I, you couldn't I wasn't. I wasn't. I, I did 20 months consecutively. 20 like, consecutive months in the Abbey? Yeah. There, there, there was the, the first thing that happened was we, we were teching for She Stoops to Conquer, which was my first show, and they offered me the next one. Yeah. Uh, which wasn't until Christmas. And in between that, then, by the time I'd finished She Stoops to Conquer the Run, they'd cast me in another play. So, and then, and then before I'd started the Christmas show, they cast yeah. me in another one. And then it just kind of went from one to the next. And, and I think, I suppose it was people in the building got to know me and, um, I suppose, other, She Stoops to Conquer was a great kind of start for me. Yeah. You know, it kind of, I think it was a show that's played to what I thought were my strengths at the time. Yeah. So um, a lot of people saw me and, and kind of, it was supposed to put me on the map. I didn't realise that at the time, but um, yeah, like for the whole centenary year, um, I, was, I, I had two weeks off for that entire centenary year. I had two weeks. That's insane. Yeah, it is. But I, it, it's it's insane. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's fucking it's, awesome. Um, <laughs> it was, And again, that was a, an amazing learning curve. I, I've, you know when people come out of college and say give me like what what do you say what what you know about acting any pointers and I always say like yeah don't talk for the first year just listen and I was in the company of people like um, Des Cave and Clive Garrity and even though I wasn't working with John Oland John Oland's the greatest storyteller alive is it a true story so you're telling you're hearing all these other stories of all these plays and you're getting like this insight and inside history into the building and all this stuff that I didn't know before and kind of going, Jesus, this is so much bigger than I thought it was. And I learned a lot about the Abbey and I learned a lot about acting. I was getting to work with my heroes. Like there was a point where 
you know, I, I got to work with Tom Witchley, you know, the guy, I he, he was my hero all through my 20s and my 30s now and he's still my hero. And yeah. I, I couldn't speak the first time I met him. And I, I was getting to work with him and getting to work alongside him. And as his sidekick, it was, um, so there was no need to talk. And I never had the words. I could never kind of go, I have an interesting story or <laughs> here's what I think. Because you kind of go, I don't have any experience at that point. Right. So I was just soaking everything up. I was learning so much and I was getting to put all my training into practice, but I was getting to further that as well. How how useful is it? I mean, obviously to have that level of success relatively quickly after graduation is a beautiful thing. But I mean, just the, the simple fact of doing it day in, day out in terms of keeping those muscles toned. I mean, you know, imaginative muscles toned. Mm. Um, how useful is that in, in career development? Oh, it's, 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 it's essential. I mean... Um, I, I, I'm, I'm at a, I'm, I have this habit now of going to see shows in the previews because people tend not to know if the, the show they're in, uh, if it's good or bad. And um, I, I like that because there, there's a kind of a... I think sometimes lately, I think we've gotten obsessed with things like reviews and Facebook and, and we talk a lot about the shows, you know, as actors, as friends. And if people kind of go, oh, the reviews aren't good, the show's shit, then they have to do four weeks of it. And I sometimes, I, I sometimes see people kind of go, ah, it's kind of crap, but I'm going to go and do it. Or the opposite, where the show's really, really good, and they're kind of going, look at us, aren't we yeah. fantastic? Um, and, and that was something I learned, was that um, to stay away from reviews, because they actually did affect me, and right. it terrified me. Um, but it also, it, it meant that, the show could constantly change and evolve. I mean, you know, if we might talk about the Murphy Project later, but, you know, we started that in March. We started talking about it two years ago. Um, the shows, for me, certainly have changed completely since we started doing it. And and I, I just think there's always more you can find with it, but but the, the show will start speaking to you. I, you know, I, th- I think it's... You learn so much from doing it night after night. You learn so much about the audience. That's always the the, the, the new character in the play. Mm-hmm. And to a certain degree, you can control how an audience responds. But it's so thrilling to kind of, uh, to know what's going to happen with them tonight. Um, I, I don't think there's any any way that you can't be influenced by, by doing a show night after night. See, this is the thing, and I, I love the idea that you're saying that, you know, you like things to, you know, evolve and to change, because it's it's why, and I'm not saying it because you're in front of me, you are, hands down, of all time, my favourite actor to work with uh, on okay. stage. We had that amazing run, kind of throughout almost every single show we did in the Beckett Centre, we were cast as a double actor that's, for, for that's much right. of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, obviously, we've had a chance once or twice since to yeah. work together. And I love it because it's different every night with you. Now, within safe parameters, within uh-huh. the thrust of the show. Yeah. But I do like the fact that it's... Because you, you know yourself, you're working with someone that come out and you know that you could do a handstand in the middle of the scene and they will still deliver those same lines in the exact same way, whatever else. That they're not listening. Whereas with you, it is that fresh and that open all the time. Yeah, I think... Um... I, like, I, don't think the, the, I don't think the intention is to change it every night, but... Um... I think your your first responsibility is to do the play. Like mm. you, you come to an agreement with the other actors, and you come to an agree. The first thing is to do is get out of the way of the play. To do tell the story of the play to the audience. 
that's it. So you have to you have to play those actions every night. But you are inherently different every day. I mean, like I I think part of my process is um is just being. So um and being open to the moment. So you might come to me I remember there was there was one moment in Romeo and Juliet where um where you delivered news to me. And mm-hmm. it was different every night because I, I literally didn't know what you were gonna say and I was always hoping of something. <laughs> might be and good you, news. And your your face might change or you might you might say it a second quicker or it might be a second faster. And I think as long as you're playing the same action, then you're doing the service of the play. But every moment is definitely gonna be different. It is. Cause and I think I think part of it is is that I think sometimes the reason it goes stale is because as actors we love to kind of be involved with our emotions and kind of go, look at me in great distress or look at me being really happy. I'm acting so hard, I can really feel this. Yeah, and and, and I and I kind of go, I I don't I don't want to hold on to those moments because as soon as you hold on to it, it's gone. And so I think thing for me is that's part of the warm up and part of the day and kind of processing everything out getting everything out of the way for me throughout the day so that you can just walk on to, on stage your body's ready to just react that's it and, and 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 i think the only thing you ever really have to do once you're playing the, the same actions once that you've agreed with the director within reason um is to just listen and if you listen the play will keep on telling you different things and the actors will keep on telling you different things. So, of course, it's going to be different every night. Mm. So like I say, it's not never the intention to go out and change it. Yeah. But I think the intention for me is to kind of just be in an open place where you can genuinely respond um, and all that emotional stuff comes then. Mm. It's just without even trying to force it, without you wanting it to. And sometimes it comes unbidden and unwanted as well. Mm which is a funny one. <laughs> Can we talk about the mythical warm-up? I know I mentioned this in passing with Mr. Burroughs because, okay. and I li- linked it back, linked it back, I linked it back, yeah. uh, I linked it back to my favourite Aussie Rules player, Nick Revolt, who warms up for longer than the match takes yeah, uh, and often burns up more calories in his warm-up before than, than most players would in the match itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, you often, your warm-up is often longer than the show. Not when you're doing cycle days with Druid, but but your warm-up is often longer than the show. Yeah, it's often shorter as well. Just, is it? Just, yeah, it is. It, 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 it evolves, I suppose. And um, I, th- I think I think it was for, for years I was doing the same thing and it was kind of um, in, impetuous and, and, and impulsive and compulsive for me to do the same thing. And it, it almost panicked me. But I think there's a point now where when you start doing a show, uh, you kind of go, I don't want to do that exercise. I don't need it. It's not helpful for this one. And, and, and you start discovering stuff that you've forgotten about for months past yeah. or for years past that you haven't been doing. Uh, I think, I suppose the philosophy behind it is that um, the show and, and doing the play, doing the work, I think, I think I want everything to be out of the way so I can just be ready to meet whatever is going to happen so I can actually listen. Um, and I suppose the best way to put it into context is that if, for example, the ceiling falls in or a light falls down or someone just impulsively throws a punch or something or someone forgets the line, that my body's prepared and maybe I'm going to have to jump, do an impossible jump out of the way or maybe I'm going to have to stop somebody from fainting i i don't want i want every muscle in my body to be ready to do it i want yeah. my body to be 
responding so I don't have to be thinking about what I'm doing. It's literally to kind of get out, get out of my own way, just to get out of my own head as well. Um, and I kind of feel if my body is certainly warmed up and my voice is warmed up, then I don't have to think about, I, I, I hope I'm able to do that mm-hmm. tonight. Um, and I suppose it, it's not really about the duration of it, but I, I knowing you're, you're just in that place as well. You're kind of, you're physically, vocally, mentally ready to, to, to meet the play. So it's easy. It, I, and what I mean by that is I don't mean that the acting is easy. I mean that um, you've already done a, a really hard job. So all you really have to go out there and do is listen. That's it. So yeah. it makes my job really easy. Why do you care so much? Because here's the thing. At this stage, like it or not, you are, in inverted commas, Aaron Monaghan, right? Um, and so there is... So, pe- sh- people, so people know you as that, okay? And, and just the element... In the way that if you go into the West End and you see a big star walk on stage, there's an element of when you walk on stage, people go, holy shit, it's Aaron Monaghan. Now, also, with that, there is A, God-given talent, and B, that you have polished up over the years. So if you went out without having broken your bollocks doing a two-hour or three-hour warm-up and just kind of coasted a bit. The talent, the work over the years, the specific work in the rehearsal room, you know, you could go out and coast any night and be within 10% of whatever. So why why work so hard? Why not I, show up hungover and fucking, you know, waltz through it? Okay, well, I... I don't necessarily agree with that. But, <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Um, 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 that is probably true. I'm sure. I'm sure there are. I mean, I think I could go out and deliver a, a phone in something as well. Um, that would assume that I think I'm good at what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I don't. I don't. Really? At this stage? I don't think I'm. Amazing! I've still lots to learn. I still, of course you do. Yeah, I know, I know, but no, but no, but no. You, even saying what you said that that assumes uh, to take that on board and and agree with it assumes that I feel the same way. And I don't. Right. Okay. There's always. I'm still a Don Witchley wannabe. Okay. Da- Don's where it's at for me. Or you look at someone like Mark Rylance in London. Yeah. And you go. You'll never get an ego. And that's a that's a safe place for me to be because the minute I think I'm deadly, yeah, I'm gone. Okay. Um, so to answer the, the reason the reason I care, I suppose, is number one because it's a, it's a privilege. I'll come back to that. Um, the 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 thing about the thing about kind of going out and and maybe phoning it in and the audience mightn't know. Um, that's fine. That that's probably true. There's ninety nine percent of the audience out there who kind of go. They won't care between me having my best show and me, me having my worst show. And as we know as actors, inevitably they don't always know. They don't always notice. Yeah. Um, there's one kid out there or there's one woman out there who needs this show. Um, and I know that because I've been that person. Um, uh, and that comes back to the idea of it for me being a privilege. Um, and it's a sanctuary. It's a holy place to be and I don't say that in a religious sense mm. but um, it, it's proven to like my work and people responding to me has proven to be time and time again uh, p- things I hear back from people is that it connects with people not my work but the play Yeah. So, and I'm a, I'm a part of that and it also gives me comfort knowing if I think that way and if I really believe it and I really really do believe it it means that 
I'll never get hung up about a good show or a bad show. So I might have my worst show and I kind of go, it's not my show. It's theirs. Yeah. And hopefully somebody out there will walk away thinking something different or feeling something different. I've walked into theatres, especially when I was, you know, in college. I walked into Whistle in the Dark when they did it in the Abbey. Yeah. And uh, whether I liked it or not, by the time I walked out of that show, I was a different person. And that's what I mean about going, doing that course as well. I was a different person. It had opened up stuff to me that I went, I can't unthink that. I can't unfeel it. So for the rest of my life, I'm now exposed to that. And it made me want, it made me want to be part of, of something as powerful as changing somebody's life. Same with something as, you may call it as, uh, as kind of, candy-like as stones in his pockets but I saw that in London when we were in the break between first year and second year in college and I walked out of that changed I kind of I didn't realize two people could do that could make me see those things and make me imagine those things and make me feel this way and I wanted to be part of that and here I am now part of it I remember the first thing that, that, that made me realize that was in the abbey uh, doing the shock run with my hero Don Witchley and it was the most amazing working relationship I've ever had talk about a guy who every night it's different he'll come to every night and he'll he'll say why didn't that work give me notes and he'll he'll give you notes now I don't mean he'll give you notes yeah. but there's there's a relationship there a really really open relationship talk to me why, why do you think that didn't happen or that was great when you did that or I had this amazing idea see when you did that that provoked something else in me that I and we did that show over the course of two runs. We did it over uh, five months. On the, the last matinee, we were still going up to each other and kind of going, that's special. And in the middle of that run, in the middle of that run, I was dying sick and Dom was dying sick and Jasmine Russell was dying sick. And it was the middle of the, there was a kind of a slump in the show. It was the middle of the run. And it just didn't have the same pizzazz. And I remember feeling I had to make the show funny and I had to carry a lot of the comedy of that show. And I remember kind of going, I'm, I'm just knackered. I've been knackered all week and Jasmine's knackered and we're getting sick and Don's sick. And I kind of go, what's the point? The director is at home. Um, the designers are at home. I'm kind of going, this is, this is a really horrible gig for an actor. And that night I walked out to the foyer and one of the ushers came up to me and handed me a note and said and it was a it was a young girl who by the way I've I've she was 15 at the time I've 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 met her since I knew I'd meet her she's now an actor and she wrote me a note saying I really wanted to meet you your work has inspired me I want to be an actor and I remember kind of going that that, that was a shock to me but I remember thinking Monaghan you're up on stage with your hero you're up on stage with Don Witchley you've had an amazing year where you're working with the most amazing people that year I'd been in a room with Seamus Heaney and Kathy Belton and Lorcan Cranich and a myriad of other people yeah. uh, saying Seamus Heaney's words and kind of going, whether you like it or not, you have to admit that now you're part of that thing that you used to watch and kind of go, it's such that it's... I remember feeling responsible for that then and I suddenly wasn't so sorry for myself. I remember thinking, right, you cannot... You can't go out there and you have to take this seriously. You can't let that person down. And I've heard other stories as well. I remember when we were doing Silver Tassie 
but mum told me the story you know there was this woman in the audience and she was eating a sandwich and it was disturbing people around her and at the first break in the performance she turned around and she apologised to everybody and she said I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry um, my mum is dying of cancer um, I'm her only carer um, This is I've been waiting for this show for months this is my only two hours off this week I haven't had time to eat and I'm really really sorry I know I've been making noise but I'll stop now and everyone around her went you're grand yeah. don't worry about it I remember I hear stories like that all the time and kind of going it makes me kind of go there's always somebody out there there's some kid who needs this or there's somebody who needs this show tonight It they're going back to a horrible situation and well God knows in times like this there, there are plenty so and it, it, it so it's not about kind of going out and pleasing them because I'm not saying that you're going to change their life but somebody might need that show tonight yeah. and it, it just makes the show bigger it makes my performance less important as well. So I, like I say, if because of that, if I have a terrible show, it's done. Yeah. That's well, whatever. Hopefully someone got something out of it. And if it's a great show, if it's the best show you've ever done in your life, yeah, it's done. And it makes me not want to talk about the work afterwards because yeah. it's gone. You know, it's a funny thing because it's like I I do have that thing as well of you know people out there have saved up their money in a recession to come and look at you do your acting. You owe it to them. Yeah. That you got to do it, and 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 it's it is wonderful to hear someone who has attained the level of success that you have still care about it that much. Does it frustrate you either to be working with people who don't necessarily push themselves as hard, or does it frustrate you looking around the Dublin theatre scene at, at stuff going on if people aren't working that hard? Because I know a big part of the motivation behind me setting up Bryce Productions with Brian and getting Fight Night and stuff on the road and the other shows we've done was that I felt. To some extent, there was work going on in Dublin that was mediocre, yeah. and it was being praised as the greatest thing of all time. Yeah. It's gone balls. It's not good enough. Put work harder. Push yeah. harder. I mean, well, the first part of the question, no, it, do, it doesn't frustrate me when I'm, when I'm working with people to see that they're not necessarily working as hard. That's not my business. Yeah, um, you can only be responsible for you. Well, well, yeah, but I, I kind of feel like I'm gonna meet them in the way that I meet them, and it's. Not it's 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 Jesus. If if I'm thinking in in that way, then I'm not doing my job. I really am. I I I just get so focused on the work. Like there's a point where like, um, there's just certain things I don't do in terms of reading reviews or knowing when people are in. Anything that gets in the way of me doing my job, that would get in the way of doing my job. So that's something I don't uh, even go there with. I might be frustrated with that. And I'll have to vent it sometimes, but that's me getting rid of it as well, so okay. it doesn't interfere. Um, in terms of the other part of that question, in terms of yeah, I I would I would absolutely agree um, that th- there was a point there where I felt like mediocre was the new black, you know, and um, if if Twitter and Facebook were to be believed, certain show you're kind of going oh, like there was a point like earlier on this year I, I, I took time out because I had to really rethink everything because I was kind of going Jesus I'm looking at these shows and they're kind of they're grand but they seem to be the new thing Um, I'll tell you what what has changed for me is you know I tend to socialise a lot less um, because um, I don't want to see actors in the pub and see them on stage I don't want to see actors too frequently is what I'm saying sure um, because of such faith in people I've I like I I've so many heroes but like um, 
it's possible in this country to see me on a stage many times throughout the year. In London, you don't get that. So I have such high expectations of people sometimes that I get frustrated if I kind of go, oh, you're so fantastic, you're so brilliant in that play, and you come and see them in the next one, you're going to go, you're, you're still fantastic, but I want you to be more. So right. I have to kind of pull myself back from that um, and, and not see not see as much stuff but also I kind of think yeah there's I, I feel that there's a lack of craft lately as well mm-hmm. that, that, that shows there was a point I think it's still around maybe maybe it's kind of on the decline where where shows didn't have any acting in them or didn't even have a play um, and and I was thinking I did it, I did kind of take some time off kind of going am, am I just getting old or am I getting kind of conservative or something because there's this whole new thing and I think I, I had to kind of reevaluate a lot of what I thought about it but um, acting seemed to be a dirty word uh, there was no plays anymore there were performance pieces mm-hmm. um, and there weren't actors there were kind of actor performers and stuff and I think and actually I think I think it's a kind of a great thing but it, it got boring for me really really quickly I think the reason it got boring for me is because uh, I am going to harp back to Don Witchley <laughs> if you look at the last thing I saw Don in was Government Inspector yes for the moment he stepped on stage I went oh I, I, I got tense because he carried this muscle with him now that show didn't do very well in terms of reviews apparently yeah Um. But I was I went to that show and I really enjoyed it. I right. really enjoyed it. I got tense watching Don. So he provoked something in me. He provoked a feeling in me of tension and and, and hilarity and uh, as did the other actors as well. But particularly Don because he's such a worker. But there's something he puts himself through something so much so that I go through it. Yeah. And 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 I I feel a lot of the, the, there's this phase I think maybe the phase is over but it seemed that every show I saw was was mostly in Temple Bar um, about Temple Bar and it was about people in Temple Bar which I'm not four people from Temple Bar to come people, and look at yes yeah, yeah. And, um, and that seemed to be very formulaic um, seemed, or it would seem to be the thing and it's nothing to do with me that that, that and I remember th- kind of thinking I, I always kind of came away from them kind of enjoying them and kind of going oh it's really interesting and and then ultimately kind of you see the next one and it's 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 the same idea almost as well and I, I kind of get bored by that really quickly but I kind of go I don't want to come away from a show thinking it's really interesting I want to come away from the show kind of going what the fuck like I'm I want something to have stirred inside me that I didn't yeah. know exist, and and I think part of it is having, not to say that the play has to have a story in the beginning, middle, middle and end in that manner. If you look at something like End of Walsh, yeah, that doesn't have a beginning, middle and end in the right order a lot of the time, but that play is crafted, and I know what End of Walsh goes through to write those plays. Yeah. I've 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 done premieres of a show, and they are well well crafted plays kind of fuck you up doing them certainly right. to kind of do them justice but to watch them you're kind of going Jesus and and it puts you through something and I think that's the point of theatre to put you through to put an audience through the process I mean like you're saying you know about 
audiences coming to pay their money. I don't know any other thing where people come to pay money to sit in a dark room to have their imaginations exercised by a group of strangers. And that's our job to do that. Um, it's not our job to teach and kind of go, here's a really interesting question. Have you thought about this? It's also not our, 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 our duty and our responsibility to kind of kind of go, I felt a lot of those shows were kind of going, there was one person reading out a list of things or something and another person looking at you kind of going, are you getting this? Are you seriously are you taking this in? Have you any idea what's happening in Ghana? Like seriously, <laughs> cop on to life guys. Um, and I look at something like the Murphys, uh, which Tom demands an honesty, an absolute honesty. He doesn't ever answer a question for you, but he provokes loads of questions within mm. you and um I, I, I really like my my family aren't theater going people at all my mum and, and my auntie came to see the cycle and you have expectations of what you want an audience hopefully to get but that doesn't mean to say that they're gonna yeah and it doesn't mean to say if they don't you failed but you can never you can only wish for it you can never demand it um and I drove my mum and my auntie back the next day to Cavan from Galway. It was two and a half hours and I didn't open my mouth for the entire thing. And to hear them talking about the plays, to hear how much they got. Like they were saying things that in the rehearsal room you kind of go, wouldn't it be amazing if that... And they're saying it. They're people who never finished school. Yeah. And I kind of go, okay, so that... And it, it, for me it always has to be, will my mum in the back row get this? Will she understand it? I think a lot of... The shows that I see now uh, that do that, they're, you know, I, you could call it breaking down the boundaries of theatre and what it is, but I, I feel a lot of it is, I don't see the performers or the actors or whatever you call them, or the writers, I don't see them going through s something, uh, um, something that's uh, stressful. I don't see them suffer, that sort of thing. And, and I've always akin, you know, somebody said to me once, if you think of the true nature of the word passion, to have passion means to suffer. Now, that doesn't mean to say you have to crucify yourself, yeah. but it means that you have to go through some sort of, and that's part of the warm up as well. So I go through that so I know that's where my body is. It's in that state. So I know at least I've done that. And I, I feel a lot of that is, it's kind of casual and relaxed. It's like, hey guys, you know, we're going to do this play for you. It was all, I think as well, if I saw another play where people were devising a play and were saying, okay, we're going to write a play and we're going to devise it, what will the play be about? Well, it'll be about us devising a play. I saw <laughs> three or four of them in a row and I kind of going, it's been done as well. Yeah. It's been done long before our generation. Uh, Brett East Nellis was doing that stuff, you know. Um, Evelyn Waugh was doing yeah. that stuff. It's happening for generations beforehand. Shakespeare was doing that. He was talking to me. So it's not new. And I kind of feel like there's there's this, a thing of the style is more important than the substance. I find that there isn't a lot of substance to it a lot of the time. Um, and the style is is the major thing. And it's it's style that it seems like it's it's very new. And I kind of go, I'm a massive Brett Heath Mellis fan. I've read everything he's huge fan of it and it was kind of, he was doing that stuff in the 80s 90s people were doing that before that so I don't know I, I kind of feel that there's a lack of craft and a lack of people actually 
sitting down and writing a play to hear Tom Murphy write, talking about writing a play yeah. that's a thing where he's talking about writing through the night and watching the morning sun come up and getting angry because because the night was his and now people are emerging onto the streets and it's not private anymore and he's sitting with a play for two or three years he's talking about writing whistle and grinding his teeth to a powder because he's going through something and I feel that with people like if you look at Michael Murphy if you look at Michael Murphy goes through stuff on stage Don Witchley goes through something on stage and I feel that's a craft and I feel your craft doesn't finish in college it's something that you have to you, the, the best thing that ever happened to me um, was, was one of our um, classmates we finished up in college by doing a show in Italy that's true and um, uh, it was a guy who hadn't done particularly well in college he, I think he was kind of overlooked a lot and and I remember kind of chatting to him about it and he went he said you know what Ernie said it's just the beginning he said some people we're all on the same trajectory we don't reach it at the same point I remember kind of I remember being so thankful he said that and I remember I remember being thankful for his sake as well kind of going oh good so he doesn't feel disappointed he was clearly determined yeah. by his path um, and I still believe that I remember at that point kind of going all right now all all your training is your training is nothing really it's it's just the it's just the starting point at which you now really begin to learn and like I said going to the Abbey and going to Druid then for two years after that that was a whole new learning curve um, that was where you really learn to put all that stuff into practice you know um, you don't get in college the experience of doing a show for six months yeah that's a whole other ball game it's a whole other thing to learn how uncomfortable would you be if I said you were the most successful actor of your generation I'd <laughs> well I'd laugh uh, you laugh you do what well, you well, 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 define, I, well, define I tell, success I, well I'll tell you exactly how I define success and yeah. this is because this is my objective take on it in as much as anyone can presume that they're being objective themselves that's amazing um, my objective take on it is I don't know of any actor between like five years either side of us who wouldn't swap places with you in the morning I, I, I would I, I, I know a few <laughs> yeah. look I'm perennially poor and I'm perennially broke. Not that that's a problem, really, but you know, there's that, and you kind of go, I'm I'm exhausted a lot of the time. I'm tired. I don't. I miss my family, and it's it's cost me a lot of relationships and stuff. So, um, to answer your question, um, into well, in terms of like, what would I, how would I, what is success anyway? Is it is it doing more plays than somebody else? Is it money? Is it is it um praise or accolade which you never believe anyway like if you look at there's another thing that kind of bothered me about the stuff we were talking about in terms of a lot of what was happening in Irish theatre at the moment um, if you it just seems to be the loudest voice in the room in Irish theatre at the moment um, and it's all very Dublin centric and I kind of one thing that this tour especially has taught me is that it's it's a much bigger place than Temple Bar. It's a much bigger place than Dublin. Yeah, the amateur drama scene down the country is phenomenal. Yeah, it's packing out, and I've tapped into that in the last year. It's been a wonderful experience, kind of, to work with that. Um, why am I talking about that? But yeah, um, you'd look at stuff on, on Facebook, and you 
before shows open, before they step foot into rehearsal room, people are saying, this show is going to be great. And when you're looking at that, you kind of go, well, the show has to be a success now. Um, and I kind of go, well, if you're saying the show is great without having seen it, then you can't really trust anything that anybody says, really. Yeah. And I never have. I never have. It, it, I, I'm not very good at taking compliments, partly because I've gone to see shows and kind of gone, I, I wasn't mad about that or... But you still say, well done. <laughs> you still say, great job. And you kind of go, well, that means we're dishonest. So I don't. So uh, if it's if it's in terms of accolades, then that doesn't matter. Yeah, it's like you said, like the whole Facebook thing. And, you know, obviously anybody goes to see any show on Facebook. They're instantly on Twitter and Facebook. Say, that was the best show I've ever seen in my life. It was so amazing. No, no one ever, because I guess the scene in Dublin and Ireland is so small. No one ever goes, saw the show last night in wherever it was shit I was bored to tears like there is no open discourse about that stuff you can only either say yeah, it was the greatest thing of all time or say nothing absolutely which is a really weird world to be in it, I guess. And, and, and that's that's something uh, the reason why um, I've like I've seen less shows this year consciously right um, I'm kind of doing stuff like I'm trying to, to go to London more or see shows in New York and stuff and um, trying to see stuff down the country because we are very Dublin centric at the yeah. moment, and in terms in terms of where the money is going in theatre, but but also where the conversations are happening, yeah, it it just means that if I see people in the pub, I feel compelled to say well done to them and kind of go, well, can we have an actual conversation and kind of go, it's this, if if I say well done, I might I might mean it, but I also might mean you are amazing, but it feels like you can't say that. It feels yeah. like. Everything seems to be at a level of that was great, and I also can feel that nothing can ever be transcendent now. You can't really, because everyone's saying that was great, or like you say, say nothing. Um, so no, I don't believe it. And to get back to the question of success, yeah. Then if you were to ask, if you were to say that to me, I, the response is, well, if if it was true, so what? That's if it's true, then that might be true now. Right, okay. But awards in New to... York might put a smile on your face the odd time. Man, they... I don't know what to <laughs> about that. Um, Can you not just say, yeah, that was lovely. It was nice to know that I went and worked my arse off and someone thought that was really great. Here's I didn't an know what they were. I really didn't. I had no idea. I I, I, I wasn't at any of the ceremonies. Um, the only time I remember... I remember um, kind of going, oh, oh, that's that's kind of a deal. Okay, right, that's, that's, that's significant. I'll tell you where they are actually. They're, they're, my mum was my mum is constantly changing furniture around. They're all in my mum's house and two of them were up in the attic because she was moving around right. furniture. So um I think one was on the ground last time and I went, Jeez, that'll probably get broke, so I put I put them up in the attic. So that's where they are. Um I don't know where the other one is, but it's somewhere in the house. The 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 one that made me kind of go, Oh, okay. I was talking to Marie Mullen when she was doing Re- Reluctant Tyrant. Marie Mullen Tony Award winner um, and apparently that's a big deal also as well if in America God they could nearly throw awards at you for like showing up they would like there are so I many I should work there then I should definitely work there then but you know they, they, they kind of they blow a lot of smoke okay. around you um, if you're if, if if the show's good okay if the New York Times thing says way well, you're great then Everyone wants to know you, and everyone wants to kind of tell you you're great. That's bizarre experience, man. I kind of go, uh, Marie. I was talking to Marie in the pub after Reluctant Tired one night, and I hadn't seen her in so long. And she went, 
um, she said, congratulations, you got a load of awards. Um, and, 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 and I went, oh, yeah, yeah. And, and she said, did you get the OB? And I went, yeah, yeah, I, I did. Why? And she went, she went, okay, that's the one. She said, because I got the OB. She said, whatever about the Tony, that's the one that meant something because it's, 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 there's no nominations. It's elected for by people in the business and people peers and apparently. Wow. So I'm kind of going, I didn't know. I don't know. I don't even know what OBIE even means. But okay. I kind of my mind. All right. Well, it's a big deal to Marie. So that so that seems that's important. a decent yardstick. So that, so, so then that made me kind of go, okay. All right. That's that's significant. But I'm still wow. at my mum's house. Well, I guess so. How important is living dread to you? And how hands on can you be with it? Um, incredibly, incredibly. I'm really proud of it. Um, uh, I'm really proud of our ethos, and I'm really proud of what we do. Um, I'm I'm not very hands on if I'm honest. Uh, Pork McIntyre and Mary Hanley do huge amount of the work. Um, I might come down for suggestions and uh, stuff. Um, I, I I'm really proud of uh, what we set up. We set it up in two thousand and four. Um, to I don't know to we we were sick of like not getting shows down in Cavan. Mm. It's funny. Ten years later, like it's gone back to like there's no companies touring anymore and that's yeah. what we did we 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 were in a theater we were associated with this beautiful theater really incredibly well-run theater and anybody who's ever played there always says it's it's an amazing theater to play it's so well-run staff are incredible um it's a brilliant venue and uh and they couldn't get good quality shows nobody was coming around to um so they went were crying out for shows so they put me and Pork together and they asked, so we did. And um, and I had all these mad ideas. I wanted to do the type of shows like we were talking about. You right, know, okay. Where, um, we were talking to the audience and including them in it or whatever, that type of stuff. Or I wanted to do really edgy stuff. Um, and I remember Mary Hanley kind of going, pull your horns back in. Yeah. There's no point in doing that for, for here. Because people won't come and see it, and I remember realizing you that have they, to get an audience in before you can you, challenge that audience. You kind do, of thing. and yeah. you have to bring them along. And as well, you have to reward them. You, you can't be doing four or five Pat McCabe plays in a row because they kind of go, they'll go with you on the Pat McCabe, and they'll if you deliver a great, good quality show, they love it. But if you deliver three more, then they kind of go, ah, do you know what? Give me something, yeah, funny, or give me something that's you know normal half <laughs> so you have to keep on keeping that balance and I've learned a lot about that and it's changed my mind completely about um about you know it's all very well doing a brilliant experimental piece if you're playing to 20 people and I remember realizing we, we were we weren't getting arts council funding and as soon as we did I remember kind of going right this is taxpayers money so our ethos was if we're going to ask really good actors to come down and we want to have a good reputation, we're going to have to treat them well. We're going to have to pay them well. Uh, we want to make sure that the money that we raise is going on the artists so that the writers get paid well, yeah. um, that the actors and the stage managers, that they get paid well. Um, we work for free. Porrick only gets paid for the four weeks rehearsal that he... That he um, and there's a huge amount of work. Like He works every day yeah. in living dread there's something to do every week you know um and, and, and our thing was that we were setting it up with the rammer theater so they were giving us office they were giving us we'd no overheads 
So yeah. we were going to the Arts Council for years, kind of going, we want to do this play in this, these plays in this venue. And I suppose the thing is, we got cut by the Arts Council, and in a way it's almost the best thing that's ever happened. Um, uh, there was a change of regime from, you know, th- there was a point where they were saying, no, why are you doing, why do you want to do Billy Roach plays or Mark McDonough plays? And we we're kind of going, because we want the audience in. They'll come to see yeah. those plays. And they went, well, you're not very exciting. You're not doing any new writing. You're not doing any edgy stuff. So we had to kind of prove that we were going in that direction. We kind of had to do outreach stuff. We yeah. had to, we, 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 we wrote and got a new play written, but with, by Michael Harding. And that was the first time they, that they, gave us stuff now they gave us money because at theatre forum we put together this speech that Pork delivered where he said basically 90% of the money in Irish theatre is going into Dublin there are venues lying idle that the Arts Council have built around the country that are lying idle with no shows going into them you're not funding shows you're not funding tours so that's where the whole show on a bag thing came from absolutely Um, and and it was almost like he got this amazing response to us. It was almost like, the, I, I kind of think that the arts council were kind of shamed into giving us money. Because kind of like, oh, we did all the facts and figures. Yeah. Interestingly enough, it's, if you, it changed after that. It changed because of that. Um, we weren't taken seriously because they were saying, do you have a, an artistic director? Do you have a managing director? And do you have an administrator? Then why should we take you seriously? Do you have your own office space? We we're kind of going, no, no, we don't. We'd if rather I, not spend the money on administrators and yeah, bricks and mortar. We'd we're kind of going, put we don't want 200 grand to do that. All we want is is 50 to do yeah. just the show. And what happened then, interesting enough, um, the change of regime came along and we were kind of going, right, we want to do this show and we want to do new writing. And we were told then, no, your your thing isn't new writing. Uh, leave that thing, to fish amble leave you, that to fish amble and to the abbey and, and to yeah. druid you know that's not your thing your thing is to do what seemingly plays for your audience and about your audience and we were like thank you that's fantastic so right. we can go ahead the, the other thing we did that was kind of that I'm really really proud of that kind of again shamed the arts council into, into doing it it's the simplest idea in the world we approached nine venues around our region we went do you know what would you give us a grand each so that was nine grand and we will together as a theatre company and as a collective yeah. apply for, for, for touring funding. And the, so the Arts Council didn't have a thing to set it up. Set, they do no work to set up this touring initiative. So they literally had to fund it. And that became Nomad, which yeah. is still going. So, you know, we produced their first three shows. And we took a break from them. It was hugely successful. successful. Um, and we took a break from them for a while. We're going back to them now, actually, uh, with, with another show that we did last year. And that became a model, you know. And, and then around the same time, Live and Dread became the model for the production hub thing, where, yeah. you know, cooperation. So they were kind of going to companies, um, you need to sack your administrator. <laughs> why are you paying someone 40 grand a year to do that? Yeah. Um, when you can share resources, you can share offices and computers and photocopiers and all that stuff. And we were kind of, and so they used us because they're going, these guys, that's what they're doing, and um, so the, and that's where a lot of the project funding yeah. things started to evolve. Um, and uh, yeah, we we got cut this year, and myself and Porrick and Mary have been so busy doing other stuff that we've realised that. We, we thought it would be a loss to us and it really hasn't because we're kind of going actually 
I think, and I think a lot of companies and a lot of the mentality these days are the Arts Council, you know, there's a lot of thing of when, when they when they took cut a lot of the um, programming funding, it meant that the Arts Council was suddenly the artistic director of every company. Yeah. And, and my thing was, well, only if you let them. And actually kind of going, no, there are other ways, loads of other ways to raise money. There are loads of ways to put on a show. And it's given you, I'm kind of done with having to like, fill out an application form and, and, and wanting to, or having to write down what the Arts Council want to hear. Can Ticking I boxes for their sake. I'm not doing a show for the Arts Council. I'm doing a show for the people who come and see the play. Yeah. They have to be at the heart of it. And that was, so that was our ethos. Our ethos was, you know, A, to give as much money as possible, but also like, as soon as we got that Arts Council money and it was taxpayers' money, I felt this responsibility to kind of go, A, this money has to go back to the artists. And secondly, the people who are paying for this, i.e. the taxpayers, I have to make sure that they get access to this. Yeah. That, that as many people as this come and, come and see it as possible. And that it lasts for as long as possible. So we, 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 we had to do a lot of work on that. Because um, like I said, it's all very well doing your great play to 20 people. <laughs> if no one's come to see it, yeah. you know, what's the point in doing yeah. it, you know? Well, yeah, it's the thing. I mean, you know, it's... It's the one element without which theatre can't exist. Absolutely, got to have the audience. Um, what to finish up? Okay. What is the future for you? I mean, I do you want know. to be running druid when Gary goes? Do you want? <laughs> do you want is that to? A possibility? <laughs> <laughs> um, can we imagine a world without his hands? Um, what, what What's the future for you? Where would you like to be in either ten months or ten years? You know what? I get asked that a lot, and in interviews and stuff, and. Um, I I have no ambition. I really don't. I have no ambition. Um, uh, I remember leaving college and passing by the Abbey and kind of going, one day in 10 years' time, imagine, I think it's possible that I'll be second spear carrier from the left on that stage. And so if your expectations are there, then and within like a year of that, you're... 20 months straight whatever yeah then you kind of go well, what, what more do you want what more can you expect um i think uh, i keep on saying i'm going to do less theater simply because i i want to uh i want to give myself a break from it not that i'm tired of it it's my absolute passion and my absolute love um uh i think the challenge for me now is i either want to do less theater here and do it somewhere else where i'm less known and see see I just want another challenge, I suppose, is what I'm saying. Uh, maybe to do TV and film because my agent keeps on <laughs> saying you have to. Um, and, I, and I suppose I, I, I owe I own that. I owe myself that as well. Yeah. To kind of make myself available for it. Um, yeah, I, I'm loving at the moment. I'm loving not being in Dublin in that scene. I'm loving working with uh, this amateur group. But I've been working with them and kind of, I suppose it's been an opportunity for me to kind of go back and look at my training. 10 years out of it and kind of see where I am with it or what's changed and is my philosophy about it the same or is it inherently different so I'll definitely be doing more of that that's feeding my soul a huge amount now. yeah um and I want to if if I do more theater I kind of want to do that stuff around the country I want to I want to do that um yeah I, I think maybe maybe I don't have a play in me that I want to write okay maybe I should for the crack just to see just to <laughs> yeah. see if the, you know because I, I kind of feel like 
it's all an expression of who you are and I kind of go well then maybe I should just go straight to the heart of that and really find out if I have anything to say um, I've no play that I want to direct maybe I will find a play to direct in the next I th- but I think that's partly for me I'm, I'm on a I'm on a year of kind of well, at this point in my life where I really want to investigate what it is I do yeah, and who it is I am and I think there are other ways for me to kind of get to the to the centre of that um, I don't know I'm kind of happy I mean happy living with Brian and uh, how how is living with Brian Burroughs oh man it's um, it's I don't know it's kind of you forget how good we have it I mean we we, we find ourselves here maybe on a Sunday evening just lying on the couch reading something or just chatting and getting to the heart of stuff and you come away from going I'm so lucky I'm just like I get to live with my best friend uh, it's he'll put you to shame in terms of like his work ethos that's true especially when you hear him at six o'clock in the morning you know <laughs> he's um he's up at six in the morning getting into that place that he needs to be to, to, you know to work with you know the Lear students or to go into rehearsals and be a movement director or something like that um that that's phenomenal and and and, and yet it's like like it, it's an inspiration i mean we were talking before this we we started recording this we we're talking about batman and the philosophy of batman yes indeed which we both we both very much um love there is a philosophy of batman which is like batman would never give up and he'll always find a way so that's gotten me out of a dark hole many is a night on stage where you're just up against it and you kind of you can't you don't know what's next and you don't know where it's going to come from um and i always kind of go well batman will find a way and burrows wouldn't give up so that gets you through we're on a really dark buzz at the moment of like <laughs> uh we're uh, trying to um I suppose it's kind of living together has afforded us this opportunity. We're, we talk a lot, not not necessarily about our work, but about you know, just the stuff comes up. We have a great laugh, but the kind of the highlight of the day for us. If the other has a busy day or an important day or something to do, and um, and it, that we're going to take really really seriously, that and they've a day ahead of the other. If he's gone out the door to do something really important, the, the the best thing I can do is to just just try and make his day just that little bit harder. Just <laughs> so it'll be little things. It'll be just little things like standing beside him when he's brushing his teeth and his our our, our we don't have to do a lot anymore now. Our presence kind of, you know, standing over one of his shoulders kind of please not now like I was working <laughs> I was sending like really important emails last night and and he's just kind of just standing beside me, annoying me, and he wasn't doing anything. He was just thinking, oh, "Please, I need to do." So little things like that, or even just locking a door <laughs> before you know the other needs to go out and kind of go. And that's that's thrilling to us. It's really uh, yeah, and seeing how f- it's about pushing buttons. It's seeing how far we can really push that. We have a good tolerance for it. <laughs> You're a brave man. You're a very brave yeah. man, Ernie. That was absolutely phenomenal. You spent a lot of time talking. Uh, about heroes and as you know you are one of mine uh, so it, apart from anything else it was nice to hang out with you for a bit um, thank you so much for coming on that's a, that's a classic one I feel very privileged thank you 
So there you have it. The amazing Aaron Monaghan. What a guy. What an inspiration. Um, it's that thing. The harder he works, the luckier he gets. And uh, and there's a guy who, if anyone wanted to, could be just lying back and resting on his laurels and coasting along. And he doesn't, man. He works harder than anybody else. He's... Uh, He's a great guy. I look, I've just got so much respect for him. Um, so diligent, so talented, so funny, and such an absolute superstar. Just a wonderful, wonderful guy to be around. He makes me so happy. I love him to bits. He's a great. He just really is great. Um, so, look, that's us. That brings us to our usual weekly roundup of what is going on around Dublin and around the country this week. What is going on around Dublin? The Dublin Theatre Festival. That's what's going on around Dublin. Go and check it out. There's loads of amazing stuff going on there. Uh, I'm not going to go and list through all the different shows because then my mates will slag me or for picking out favourites or will wedgie me for not picking out them uh, so go and just check out the uh, the Dublin Theatre Festival website there is so much great stuff there having just spent the you know, the last hour listening to Aaron maybe you'd like to go and check out the Murphy cycle that's going on it's pretty phenomenal um, but there's so much stuff there that's kind of taken over most of Dublin at the moment um, a few couple of the independent theatres knocking around also have some shows uh, Theatre Upstairs where we will of course be bringing uh, Fight Night in the coming weeks has uh, just finishing up with Dirty Money and that will of course be followed by Joist um, and the Viking Theatre, where we'll also be bringing Fight Night, and we're really looking forward to that, um, is uh, is continuing with Dusty Memoirs, uh, which is uh, going really well for them, as far as I know. Uh, and then as we look around the country, up north to Belfast, the lyric still has Connell Morrison's production of Playboy the Western World, and The Mac has prime cuts, I Am My Own Wife, with the great John Cronin, which I know is getting amazing response for them up there. Um, so look, that is us. That is episode 47 in the books. We are on the home stretch, ladies and gentlemen. We're wrapping this bad boy up, but we're going out with a bang by Jesus. And uh, so we will, of course, be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. This has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. <laughs>